Imagine this, the space I'm a, you're about to open is not gonna be the last space you ever open. And so imagine all the systems you put in place right now to open that new space, that checklist that's in place. When you go to open your second space, your third space, all of those systems are in place for you. You're so much more energized around it. Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. In today's episode, we're going to talk about a topic that I know is looming large for you right now. And I'm just going to briefly frame it as saying, how do you find your next best space for your school? I think this episode is going to be very relevant for a variety of people. And here's why. Um, Right now, I know you're going through this. Of uh, a number of clients that you and I have been seeing over the last six to nine months, this topic has been a this topic has loomed large for them as well, for at least 50% of those people. Someone who's either opening a, a third location, in one case, a fourth location, and someone who needed to move from their current location to another because they needed more space. And then you, Nate. Yeah. Um, I know in your personal story, you've had to move against your will, will twice over the last 12 years. You're going through this right now. I know this is a big topic for most people. So let's get into this. Um, what would be a good place for us to start in talking about how to find your next best space? Yeah, so the first place to, to start is to acknowledge that it is generally not the job that anybody loves as a school owner, right? It's just having to move or having to expand into even more uh, landlord relationships, having to um, you know, go through uh, the commitment for another, say, personal guarantee on a lease for five years or 10 years that might amount to $500,000 that you personally are guaranteeing. This is not a space that people love to go into. And it's the reality of what we do if we offer an in-person service. We're offering that service somewhere. And oftentimes, as we need to grow as a school, it moves beyond our basement studio, like where I'm, we're shooting, you know, like this, mm. this, 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 if you're watching on YouTube, this is literally where Brooklyn Music Factory started. This is yeah. the basement of my home in Brooklyn. And now we're opening a new location this summer that will have um, seven to 10 studios in it, uh, et cetera. So it's, wow. it's not a place you love to be, but it's a place you need to be periodically. Okay. So I know that people are going to come away with, from this episode with some probably juicy nuggets of wisdom, perhaps even a system to make this a little less of a headache. Let me ask you an odd question. Do you think it's possible? You said this is a place where people don't want to be. <laughs> Given your experience, do you yep. think it's possible that, that someone could go through this experience and it be pleasant or at the very least um, not a chore or a pain? Do you think we could ever get to that? Or is this just something we're going to have to hold our nose and do yeah. as yeah. cool owners 
every time that this comes up or if we want to open a new location. What do you think? I'll say this. What's possible, <laughs> Daniel, is that each time you go through this, you will become so much better at it and you'll learn an enormous amount about how you've been doing business to date. Because mm. it, in order to build a, yeah, in order to build a repeatable system around finding new locations, expanding, adding new locations, you really have to do due diligence on what's gotten you to where you are today. Okay, the immediate thought that comes to my mind is anytime you move your home, it ends up being a cathartic and wonderful experience because you get rid of a bunch of stuff that's weighing you down. Yes. It exposes the dirt in the corner that you've not seen for years. And so when you say that, when you say that it's going to be good for your business, well, then boy, this could really rise to be something to, to the level of, oh man, I'm excited about this. I'm actually half considering moving away from this house just because it's going to force us to get rid of some of the clutter we have, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great analogy, dude. Yeah, I think you'll walk away from this episode energized, even if, um, yeah, frankly, even if you're like, wait, I don't know how to do that step yet. I mm. think people will walk away motivated and inspired to maybe take one or two steps. Um, okay. So where do we want to begin, Daniel? Finding your next best location. So Nate, let's jump into it. Even getting started out there's probably something that you need to do even before you start looking, uh, some foundation work that needs to be laid. What yeah. did you do? I'm going to make it so easy that anyone listening right now can push pause and do this. <laughs> the very first step you're going to do is actually make your wish list for a new space. Hmm. I'm literally, right now, Daniel, I'm in my Evernote and I'm looking at the note that I made two years ago as we were prepping for the new space we're about to open, which is literally just titled, What Do I Want in the Space? And mm. it's just a, You wrote this two years ago. I, I wrote this wow. to myself in an Evernote. And then it's just a wish list of all the things I could have on it. Let me read you one or two things on this because some of this will definitely resonate. I don't want to have any Department of Building issues. I don't ever, in New York City, the Department of Buildings, it's just the last... Um, set of people you want ever visiting you. Um, I don't want, I want to be able to make as much noise as I want to make 24-7. One last thing on my list is I want to be able to bike or walk to work in 20 minutes or less. So <laughs> it's like wildly, like in the list has like 14 more points on it. It's a wish list. Okay, so that's step number one. Um, and a brief why on it is because you cannot go into this project on your heels. You can't okay. go from the space of like, ah, oh, man, I can't believe I have to go through talking to landlords and negotiating with brokers all over again. You have to start on your toes. And in order to start on your toes, you start from a place of optimism, like, man, my new space could have all these things. Okay, okay well, maybe I won't get all 15 things on my wish list. But imagine if I could get 10 of them. Like, hmm. so you got to start from a space of, of you know, motivation. Probably even need to prioritize which ones are most important to you. Oh, yeah, dude. I've got that, too. I, I've what was your number one? What was your number one, Nate? My number one, right? Well, good question. It's shifted over the, over the years, of, over the negotiation. But my number one is around what percentage of our rent uh, sorry, what percentage of our operating expenses is going to go to rent? Um, Interesting. So it's very important. Anyways, 
Yeah, it's okay. super important. It gets back to our financial fluency piece we did, but that's huge to me. I do not want to overspend um, over the next 10 years on our new space. In hindsight, looking back over what you're doing now and then in your previous move, and I'm curious, is there is there a big mistake that people could avoid yes. when they're looking for a, for a space? Can I give you one of the biggest mistakes I made? <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Yeah. One of the biggest mistakes I made was not slowing down and taking the time the time to go through point by point the lease with my attorney. So number one, yes, you need an attorney. Number two, yes, you'll spend a couple few thousand dollars on that attorney, even if it hurts. Number three, you are a teammate with that attorney. You're not delegating to the attorney to get it done for you. You're saying, attorney, I'm asking for your expertise and I will sit at the table with you for as many hours as needed to go through point by point and understand what I'm obligating my business to and myself to. Dude, I signed a lease I should not have signed um, six, mm. seven years ago. And wow. when, uh, you know, when the pandemic came and we couldn't come to terms on sort of a rent abatement and that kind of thing, I opted to leave that lease. And I was so relieved to leave the lease, but it didn't come before realizing how awful the lease was that I had signed. So biggest mistake you, I mean, one simple move you can make is committing to working with an attorney and saying, hey, I'm going to actually take the time to understand a little bit of this legalese. Uh, I know this is getting a little bit into the weeds of your personal story, but I think people could connect to this because I hear it was a bad lease. How, why, why was it a bad lease? What was it for you that made that bad? So leases are organized in different ways, but basically you're obligated to certain, you have certain financial obligations and um, you also have certain operational obligations to the building. So for example, um, let me give you a super simple one, which is the building can either take care of your trash (laughs) or you're obligated to take care of your trash. Wow. And that might seem like nothing. You're like, well, whatever, dude, I can throw away our trash. Well, in New York, you have to have trash pickup. You're obligated to um, have that contract going. It costs us 250 bucks a month, which is not a lot of money, but it's a pain. And then, or you could simply have a lease where they're obligated for it. They're obligated for snow removal. These are minor things, but they're Mm. all negotiable. A much bigger thing, of course, is just, hey, what percentage increase will the rent be every year? Does it have to be 3.5%? No, turns out it doesn't. It's negotiable. You can get it down to 2% a year. You can even hunt the increases for a few years. So there are a lot of details. Yep. And you're saying that had you had an attorney go over things with you on your first lease that you signed, he probably would have caught those things kind of in a spirit of teamwork with you. He would have just known the ropes a little bit better than you and would have pointed those things out. So that's a great question. Let me reframe it. The attorney is actually only going to do for you what you ask for. They will, of course, review the lease and say, hey, Nate, here you go. I think this is basically fine. Mm -hmm. Ready to sign. And you might be in a position like we were where um, you really needed to get that new location, that lease signed so you could start your build out on your new location and get it open because you want to get your students served there. Your attorney, you actually need to say, hey, attorney, what is negotiable? Walk me through all the things that we could actually negotiate. And then you need to sit alone and say, hmm, 
What's really important to me? How much can I afford? Do I want to have to deal with things, minor things like snow removal, trash removal, blah, blah, blah. So your attorney is a teammate. She doesn't have all the answers for you. You have to go sit with her and say, hey, educate me, and then let's talk about it. And yeah, you got to pay for the time. But believe me, dude, you're going to get a return on that investment. Mm, okay. Okay. That's so cool. anyways, now I don't want to go too deep into it because people can write and ask more specific questions to us. But yeah know that, that, that they're a vital teammate in the process. Yeah. So the, the remaining question, and, and to even look at what our thesis was for this episode, which was uh, it's possible to find an effective space because there's a system to doing it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know that you've got this documented out and you've got all those sorts of things, and we're not going to know the depth of that. We just don't have you know, the six hours necessary <laughs> to, to do that probably. But maybe let's um, uh, let's help people by getting them started on the right path. Maybe okay. we can um, fly over some of those early steps of that system for you. Yep. And, uh, you know, if there's further interests, you know, if, if you're listening or watching this right now and you're considering a move, considering a first location, considering a second, third, fifth location, you don't like how the last three went, but you'd like the fourth to be the, you know, the, the, the fourth one will be the charm. Um, you know, write to us. Um, uh, we have a lot more to share, obviously, than what we can do here in, in the 30 to 45 minutes we spend on these episodes. But, uh, but yeah, Nate, let's start with that early, some of those early steps. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've made your wish list. The second mm-hmm. thing you need to do is, um, you, you said it really nicely, like aspirationally, where do you want to get? Well, I would say you operationally, where do you want to get? In other words, Hmm. how many private lessons do you want to be able to offer in the new space? Therefore, how many studios do you need? How many classes do you want to offer? Maybe you have group piano classes and group drum classes and group guitar classes. Is that three different studios? So step two is actually creating an enrollment forecast for your new space, right? Hmm. And then step three is uh, creating a geographical geographical, that's a tough word, criteria (laughs) for your space, right? So um, we've worked with clients before where they've said, hey, I want to move eight miles from this town to another town. Well, you have to come up with a system to be able to assess whether that's going to be viable for your current customers and future customers, right? Um, And then step four is the financial piece. It's looking historically at what you've paid on rent to date. And by the way, you don't need the dollar figure you need the percentage of your operational expenses that you've spent on rent. And then yeah. you need to look forward and say, okay, given what I've done in the past, what can I afford in the future? Let me give you mm-hmm. one little nugget here that most people probably don't know, which is that the national average for our for music schools, dance schools, karate, all this, these sort of after-school activities, we all fall in the same bucket here. The national average for rent is about 6% of your gross goes to rent. In Brooklyn, New York, it ain't going to be 6%. It's going to be our average at BMF has been between 10 and 12% historically that we've spent on rent. Mm. And so I'm not going to hit this 6% goal that I'd love to, but I'm shooting for 8 to 10%. Mm. Right? Am I going to hit yeah. it in the first year, second year? No. But by the third year, once we're reaching, you know, our revenue targets might be 1.5, might be 2 million, that kind of thing. I want no more than 8 to 10% of that money to go to cover the rent. 
So that's it. Yeah. It's it's essentially mm. a four system process. So you've that's the, those are the those are the touch points. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. What's interesting is that it doesn't often make sense to get deeper into the steps because the sit- situationally, everyone, everyone's needs are going to be so different. Uh, I've even highlighted some of the, uh, the variations we've just seen amongst you know, the people that we've been working with. And even thinking back over the years as I've coached people who are moving from that space of they've either been in home yes, or a traveling teacher and they're moving to their first location, the, the advice I've given to a lot of these folks and they've taken me up on it because I saw this work really well for a particular client of mine nearly six years ago um, was to go and rent space from a non-commercial location. Hmm, like a church? I've had, like, like a that? church. I've had so many people that their first move was into a church where they could just rent some rooms, um, you know, to a organization that was only using that facility one day a week or two days a week. Yeah. And, and um, been able to kind of avoid some of those, they've been able to avoid some of those things that are so challenging that you were just mentioning there. There's a lot of things that you don't have to take into consideration when you, when you are kind of making that uh, half measure move, I'll say. Um, and uh, Can I, I, I don't know, it could be a good first move for someone, but yeah, what, you have a thought there, Nate. I'd love to hear yeah, it. Well, well, first of all, I will say the principles are the same, whether you're moving mm. into a church basement or you're moving into a retail commercial space. Um, what I love, you pointed out though, but what can we avoid by making sort of, you know, a half move? What we can avoid is long-term financial obligation that comes yeah. with signing a personal guarantee on a lease. And that can be just the relief we need. Yes. However, you still need your wish list for a space. You yes. You still need to know what your enrollment targets are in that church basement that you're going to move to. You still need to know geographically is that basement in the within where your customers are going to come, and you still need to know financially. Even if you're only paying a thousand bucks a month in rent to this church, you still need to know is a thousand bucks within the range of what we can afford, right? Yeah. Um, but you do avoid that long-term financial pressure. And just to remind you, Daniel, as I mentioned earlier, that's exactly what BMF did to grow. We started in the basement of my house, private lesson studio, and then we added group classes where we re-rented only on Saturdays a dance studio around the corner. Wow. And so totally your strategy is how we began to expand. Yeah, because, you know, you started the basement there <laughs> that you're in right yeah. now. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, the, the, those moves that you made over the years <clears throat> were ones that you could in the moment that that you had the confidence and 
and wherewithal to make that move. You wouldn't have jumped to the space you're considering right now. Mm-mm. You you took your time. And one of the things, for better or for worse, I think a lot of people have a a lot of people have expressed to me a certain conception of what they think my personality is like. And and I, I think people have this idea that I'm a much bigger risk taker than I actually am. Mm. Um, in reality, working with my own coach, one of the things I uncovered in years of work with him was that I often waited too long to make the next right move. Mm. And uh, so it, it, it's no wonder that that's some of the advice that I gave to my clients. Cause I think that is kind of within my, um, within my personality uh, to give that advice, you know, Hey, take that next step. Be very cautious, be very careful about it. Here's the different alternatives you have, but you don't have to go straight for that commercial location. You were going to say something there though. I was just going to say, I love that you're bringing up the making choices because that's essentially all our job ever is as a founder and CEO is that at the end of the day, we have to make a choice. Are we hiring this teacher? Are we moving to that location? what scales the location, et cetera. And I would highlight this, Daniel, because I appreciate that. Like, we don't necessarily actually know how risk-averse we are mm-hmm. until, until we ask for help in terms of identifying, you know, um, maybe, maybe we're surprised by our personality. Maybe we're surprised by that. Um, but I would say this. You put the systems in place for yourself around how to find the next best space. And then you're exactly where I am right now with Brooklyn Music Factory, where my goal this week, literally in my, you know, my big three for my weekly plan is I want to have three more letters of intent. That's the fancy word for an offer in, you know, make an offer to a new space. So we will have five offers by the end of this week. And I will just, I will bring those five offers into my system? Is it in the right space? Will it meet our enrollment goals? Is it about 8 to 10% of our gross revenue? And then I will bring those five offers to the team and I'll say, what do you think? This space over here on Fifth Avenue used to be a gym. It's a great location. It can serve these criteria. Or what do you think about this space over here? It's a raw space, but we can build it out and it's right below a a climbing gym. What do you think about that? Mm. But the data points are all there that I can bring to the team and then they help me make that choice. And at the end of the day, did you got to make a choice and move mm. forward, right? So oftentimes we're paralyzed as owners. We're like, ah, oh, this is too much for me. You know what? If I only knew 17 more things about this space, I might be able to make a choice, but I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. That means your system is not in place yet. And I think that gets back to the the larger point that I think I kind of distracted myself from when I was speaking a moment ago. And that is that um, as you're making this decision, because the nature of, you know, if you're listening or watching, because the nature of your move is unique, mm. it's your city, it's your first location, or it's your first move, or it's your first second location. Yep. There's so many that... The system, the baseline system will probably be somewhat general, but the specifics and the details of your current version of it is going, it won't even be the same the next time you have to make this decision. And so it can, 
it can be really good then to have a support system, whether that is a co-founder, whether it's your team, you know, contributing to some of those general steps, whether it's a coach that has gone through this before and can offer words of wisdom as you're walking through it. But it's really good to surround yourself with people. Maybe your attorney, um, definitely your attorney. <laughs> yes, to, j- just to to rely on those things. But then you know, then it just comes down to to elbow grease and having the drive to sit down at the computer, even if it feels uncomfortable, start working through that, and then start working out the specifics of okay, let me plan in advance how all this could potentially work, and then being ready to roll with the punches as you actually go through the move. Dude, can I? Can I? Can I? Maybe it's time to leave us with an image. Okay, because I love your I love, it. I love your point around um, having a team to help you get to the point of decision and action, right? Because because mm. we, we talk all the time about how to how to grow our team. We work with our clients all the time about how to build team and then rely on them to help you get to action because that's what you want to do, yeah. um, dude. You know when you like go on like for example, you know the pricing chart. Let's say you want to subscribe to, you know, like we use Slack and it's like, here are the three, you know, here's the startup price, here's the business price, and here's the enterprise price. And then they, and then the top to bottom, you know, they have all the different things that you get and they have the decks, you know, and it's so easy for us to then make a choice in that moment around um, which plan is going to work for us, right? So we're, Mm -hmm. we're subscribing. So, So basically that's exactly what I've done with my team around the five locations we're considering. Interesting. I have left to right the five locations. I have top down all the different criteria from square footage to cost um, to uh, how many studios we can have to can we make lots of noise, all those different criteria that are important to us. And I just check the boxes left to right. And I literally just will show them that in our meeting. And I'll say, hey, guys, here, take a quick scan of the five spaces that are up. Here's the answers to most of your questions. This gets back to that system that we have in place. What questions do you have for me? Let's come to a decision. We've got about two weeks left before we need to make a decision. So anyways, hmm. I like that that because you're, you're constantly, as owners, we're constantly caught in our head full of information. And we think that it translates to everyone around us, but it doesn't really, right? Yeah. You're leading the charge for finding your new location. You need to be able to bring your discoveries back to your team, even if it's just one person, and so that she can help you make a decision. So anyways, I just wanted to leave you with that. You can imagine what the Brooklyn Music Factory chart looks like, the the new location um, pricing chart looks like. I don't know yes. the way to describe it, but anyways, I literally, I have that right here in front of me. <laughs> and I think I should, I think it's important to highlight the subtext of what you're saying there. Let's say you don't have a team. Yeah. Make that thing for yourself. Yes. Um, the act of even having that document as an achievable goal, like I- I'm going to write that document, it will probably go 80% of the way to you collecting the necessary facts and data that you need to make an informed decision. Too often entrepreneurs stay in their heads and they make decisions in their heads. And I'm gonna paraphrase a uh, something a mentor said, um, someone who's been influential on me. I'm gonna paraphrase something he said. I might have even used this quote before. 
in a previous episode, but what's talked about as a dream, what's envisioned is exciting, what is planned becomes possible, but only what is written becomes real. Mm. This is very true to me. Anytime I want to make something happen, I write it down. And uh, this could almost be considered, you know, common sense advice, but it's not so common. So many times I see people just laboring and struggling over decision. I'm working with a client right now privately who's needing to make a very tough decision, not necessarily on real estate. Um, she's been agonizing over this decision for nearly a year, a decision she needs to make for the health of her business. Mm. And I just got her to write down what it was. And she's already changing as a result of this. She's held this in her head for a year or maybe longer now that I think about it. And just the act of writing it out, she's now been saying things like, you know, now that I wrote it out, it's almost obvious what I need to do. And I know I've needed to do it, but it's just this, you release that toxicity in this particular case. But then in the case of the real estate, getting back to the point, <laughs> in the case of the real estate, having the, a goal of just even write that document out for yourself or other decision makers or your team um, will go a long way towards making the right decision maybe a little more obvious. You know, she, I see you shaking your head, Nate. I just something to I, say. I love it, dude. I love that you what that last quote. Write it down. It won't become real until you write it down. And imagine this: the space I'm a, you're about to open is not going to be the last space you ever open. And so imagine all the systems you put in place right now to open that new space, that checklist that's in place. When you go to open your second space, your third space, all of those systems are in place for you. You're so much more energized around it. And the final thought I'll put on it is that we get caught in the weeds around a space. Oh my God, I'm going to have to spend $113,000 a year on rent? That's crazy, right? You got to go back to the purpose. For us, you know, the community room is the most important classroom in our space. So it's going to be six, 700 square feet of a place where we congregate. Students are coming and going from their classes and their lessons, and they're all there. I'm leading the drum circle. We're writing speed songs together. When you're looking for a new location, Daniel, you're not sign just signing a lease. You're not just a percentage on a spreadsheet. You're literally creating the space to realize your purpose. Cause that's what we do. We are, we are, we are, you know, we are providing a, a, a safe space for students to come and, um, and learn and collaborate and uh, get motivated and develop confidence in their creativity. That's actually what you're building a system for around finding the next best space. Yeah. Yeah. So stay focused on the, the why. Yeah, and that'll actually inspire you to make that spreadsheet. That'll inspire you to 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 meet with your attorney. That's what's inspired me, dude. I don't want to go look at you know five more spaces this Thursday. I'd much rather just um, you know work on curriculum. But the reality yeah. is, I'm so psyched about the possibilities. You know. So, anyways, I yes. think it's important to bring it back to the why on this. And that could be a good place to end it. I know we didn't get into some of the deeper part of your systems, like what to do with the build out, how to get families to go with you. And there's a lot of potential future episodes there or just a lot of help that we, I know you and I can offer to folks around this topic, but I, I do feel that's a good place to end there. Um, just that, uh, 
that motivational piece to to kind of go in this and and dare to I'm gonna sound so cheesy dare to dream that it doesn't have to be awful. <laughs> yeah, it does not. It can be yeah. energizing. Cool. Thank you, Daniel. All right. We'll see you in the next one. Later. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.